Welcome to NGE Podcast. NGE stands for not good enough. We're going to share with you topic by topic the ramification of NGE and how to deal with certain circumstances. I truly believe that life is very short and in the universe we might just be that bleep in the sauna, on the radar. We might as well make sure that we are bleep that matters. Enjoy. Got it. Got it. Okay, how are we going? Hi, everyone. Hello. Hello. Let's welcome, uh, yes, Dean, Dean Webb. He looks always, he always looks bad. He's our Keanu Reeves from the Gold Coast. <laughs> so let, let's have a look at uh, today's subject. How can psychology help? Yeah. How can psychologists help? And I, I know it's going to be a bit controversial. Some people probably believe they can't help. Uh, thank God we do have a psychologist here with Haley, so she's probably going to argue that absolutely I do help. And then there's going to be people who are going to say, well, I'd love them to help me, but uh, I don't know whether they can. So, so let's start. Um, Let's start with you, Dean, because I know that you, you've been thinking about this all week. That's, uh, and, and you yeah. thought that was a very good subject for you, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, so a bit of background on what my thoughts are was um, I was actually quite, if you met me about two years ago, I was actually very pessimistic towards psychology and psychologists. Um, and if you, the, the further you went back, the more pessimistic I was. But I met my partner. Um, about a year and a half ago, thankfully, and she introduced me more because she studied it. So she's she's more in that field. So she really opened up my uh, perspective on what psychologists and how psychologists can actually really help people and, and do things. But um, I suppose the one question I really wanted to ask was, you know, I am lucky because I'm a bit biased towards my partner and I can you know, if she, whatever she says, it's right. So I have to, I kind of have no choice, but for someone who is maybe in, in an older generation where they do really need that help, um, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen that could convince them to go and see one? I think that's the very first step. That's like the hardest step is to even just convince somebody to, to go and see one. So is there any advice that you could give in terms of talking to somebody and getting them through that hump or? Sure. And I think you're right, Dean, like I will just preface it with often um, often I get parents come because a, a teenager or, or a young adult has said, I need help. Mm. I, can you get me into a psychologist? And the parent comes along and goes, you know, I don't understand this mental health thing. You know, in my day, you just had to get on with it, suck yourself yeah. up, you turn up at work, and that's just how you did it. Yeah. And so, you know, this whole mental health, mental illness sort of, you know, there's no sort of stigma anymore. We're starting to move forward has another generation and cultural challenges around that as well um, where it's like, well, no, you keep everything that's happening to you to yourself and you get on with it and that's just how it is. Mm. So often when they, you know, when a, even a parent comes for a child who's asked for help because at school they're starting to learn ask for help it's not mm. to speak you know yeah. like all of these sort of slogans and so they're going hey I'm not feeling right I might need some help and so I explain it to that older generation and culturally around um, you know it's the same thing around men and doctors mm. like mm -hmm. They can be on their deathbed and still not want to go and get a checkup for, for no reason that they know they're ill, but you know, it's just it's I guess a personal stigma or the way they've grown up just going, just move on, it you'll get over it and, and those sort of things. So I chat with them, I guess, around your brain is is a muscle, just like you go to a physio or a chiro or anything else. And so we have to take care of it just as much as a dentist, as an ear, nose, nose, throat. You know, people go and see specialists all the time. They go and see a GP if they need antibiotics. So I guess I start with that sort of medical model as in 
you know, sometimes things aren't okay and you don't have to be so depressed that you can't get out of bed. It's, it's, but it's getting people to recognise that there is an issue, you know, and whether you're on the outside, you know, whether it's a partner or a friend, like you can see that they've got an issue that they need help. It's getting them to admit that they need help. It's getting them to see it because until they're ready, there is no point. Yeah. And I think pushing them to go. moving towards like not so much so you have to go, oh, I must be depressed or I'm anxious or, you know, I've got some sort of disorder. I want to go and find out about it. Mm. But everyone needs help at some point in their life with their mental health. And so whether you're getting that from a partner, that's great. Whether you're getting that from a parent or a friend, that's awesome. But I agree with you, Lisa, it's about other people, the bystanders looking in and going, this is too much for me to handle. You'll have to go and see someone else. Or, you know, yeah, I've, I've helped you as much as I can as your friend, as your husband, as your wife. Um, you might just need to go and talk to someone else who may be able to give you some more skills or help you out. Because psychologists are about, you know, helping people be healthier, less stressed, you know. I think it's also really important that you find the right fit as well because, you know, somebody that Dean might go and see or Thomas and myself would be completely different. You know, you need to be able to relate um, to them. Otherwise, it's just like if, if you go and you can't relate to them and it's not the right fit, sometimes it can like turn you off and you won't go back. You know, it can do more damage. And so when you have someone that is, you know, erring on the side of caution about going, um, if you do get them there, you need to make sure that you've got the right, the right psychologist and the right fit for the person. Yeah. And I say that all the time in terms of saying, like, you know, you might get a really abrupt doctor and you just think, whoa, I'm not going back to the GP yeah. ever. And there's a hundred in your local area that yeah. you can then try and get into. And that is exactly the same as a psychologist. Because I really think that it's not just one size fits all. You know, everyone doesn't fit into the same box, the same session. Like I think it's very unique and individual for each person. Yeah. But, but Helen, how do you know someone is the right fit then? I mean, it's not because a psychologist says the right or not some nice lines because you click with the psychologist it's the right one sometimes well, an older older gentleman isn't going to go and see a young girl fresh you know fresh out of uni like you know in that case they'd be looking for someone why not i mean more, like, more the, their age group that because you've got to be able to relate to them life experiences you can't say all that about he, what's in the book you can't say that hugh hefner would only want to see young psychologists <laughs> I mean, come on, what are, we, what are you talking about? No. I would disagree with that in terms of, it doesn't matter in terms of age, but it matters with values and philosophy. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That matters because I can see really like people in their 90s and right down to I see toddlers, you know. Yeah. So, um, but not everyone likes me and my style and I'm okay with that. Yeah, and I can go, this isn't really working. How about you go and see so-and-so? So, -and -so? so uh, a good psychologist will go, will also feel that it's not a good fit. Okay. But I do encourage people to go, if you go, if you do make that step, and we can talk about how to make that step because I think we've sort of moved along the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, okay, but, but let's stick to this one here first because, so... Uh, so how do I know that someone is the right fit? So you're looking only at their values? No, and I think um, it'll be, it's rapport. So it's feeling comfortable and safe and, um, you know, building that trust. So psychologists are trained to build rapport pretty quickly and make connections. Really? And so... <laughs> and so if you're not feeling it, you're feeling judged or you're feeling they don't quite understand what you're trying to say, then I would say, you know, you could give it one more try, but if not, then say, you know what, 
this isn't like this isn't working not this isn't for me and I'll never see a counsellor or but it probably all, all starts like when you get your referral you know like the GP would have three or four different referrals um, to send you off with and I think it's having a conversation with them as to you know experiences that they've had with other patients um, about what type of person they are and like like who they are like and talk talk to people in the community like yeah. get a bit of feedback from people so Haley, I'm, I'm curious because as a real estate agent I know what to look for in a real estate agent when I, when I get one in so as a psychologist what would you specifically look at because the people that would see a psychologist can be quite vulnerable at times I think so they might be easily manipulated or if you see the wrong person obviously um, yeah. so what are the things that you would look for specifically aside from maybe rapport yeah um so I guess there's so many different um therapies mm -hmm. um and some psychologists are just really good at one and that might be mm -hmm. what you need so um you know some are just really what we call cognitive behavior therapy and that sort mm -hmm. of it and then others are just really di dialectical behavior therapy and that's it so um i guess you're doing a little bit of looking up online like lots of people obviously have linkedin and they have websites to their pages to get a feel of of you know do they treat anxiety depression you know do they see couples are they relationship therapists you know there's so many different things that it can be really overwhelming for someone who's who's not well yeah. so it is bringing other people into that sort of inner circle and going i'm not well i'm not sure what to do and having someone you know even do some of that for them mm. So doing your own research into the people or even the things that you might need yourself yeah. and then exploring those options yourself as well. Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 but if, if you are, I'm not saying mentally sick, but if you are not right, how can you do right research? Yeah, well, this is what I'm, so there's some really good websites. So like Beyond Blue, reach out, you, you know, and I can, we can put some up on, on, Facebook page um, but there's some that come straight up like Beyond Blue would be one of the major one it's got government funding and so even if you type that in and go I'm feeling you know this it'll come up and you can have a look um, and it might not show the psychologists in your local area but it will give you a bit of an idea of you know what's yeah, what you might have or, you know, what you might need help with. But I think aside from that, most people that I see, you know, unless they're really, really depressed or really, really anxious that they can't, that that's really interfering with their functioning, mm. don't realise that they can come just because. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't have to be clinically unwell to see a psychologist. You can be, you know, having problems communicating what you want or need at work or in a relationship, or you can, you know, you can have some parenting, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm the, you know, it's the first time I've ever had a teenage teenager in my life and I don't want to stuff it up. Mm -hmm. Can I, can, you know, can someone help me? Like they're there for those things as well. It's not always in that sort of clinical arena that yeah, yeah. people can go and talk to someone. Mm. I think I think it's getting better for children and young people, um, and especially since COVID, you know, psychologists were opened up to what we call telehealth, but doing it online via Zoom and, and over the telephone. It, was, it wasn't promoted prior to COVID, but since COVID, I feel like people have more access now. They can feel comfortable in their own home and um, 
And can access help that way and not feel so stressed about having to go to a clinic, sit in the waiting room and then go and see someone about a problem that they might feel is not a problem. Yeah, because even that situation can cause anxious people to just, yeah, go crazy yeah. soon. Yeah. That's right. I feel like definitely the last couple of years, probably four or five years now, there's a lot more like Jordan Peterson, there's more famous psychologists coming out and um, people love to cut the reels out and say profound things. And so to the younger generation, it definitely, you know, they, it catches their attention. It's like, oh, he's a psychologist and he's seeing some really good stuff or he or she is seeing good stuff. And you can't understand. Except you can't, you can't understand Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Jordan Peterson always have in his answers, yes, it works and no, it doesn't work. So in the end, you don't know when it works. <laughs> just have to be, just have to be careful. Well, yeah, of course. So, yeah. But because the, the the big mistakes that I find with, with a lot of people, not only about searching for the right psychologists, but I think you said it earlier, is that a psychologist is usually good in one field, and and sometimes it is wrong to get into a session with psychologists who's fixing an issue, and then now think that that person can fix every other issue in your life. I think that is also a big mistake. Yeah, you know, in, so in choosing the psychologist, uh, yeah, yeah, people have to be so careful. Yeah, but I you think I'm seeing two. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm seeing more than two. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm seeing today. <laughs> lots of lots of psychologists are generalists, so yeah. we know a lot about a lot of things. But if you have specific, so I wouldn't like I would be able to see someone and clinically assess most things. Um, but, you know, if you're going to do dialectical behaviour therapy because you've got an eating disorder, I would refer you on. I would say there's an eating disorder clinic in our local area and they would, you know, I could do it, but I probably wouldn't be the best. Mm -hmm. And so I think also don't be scared to go to anyone and sort of make sure they're meeting your needs and if not us, say, are you the best person to help me with this? Or is That's there someone nice. else? Most psychologists in local areas know each other. We network, um, you know, or we've been part of a health system or, you know, a school system. So um, I think it's okay to, you know, obviously when you're sitting across from a surgeon about, you know, you probably don't go, are you the best? Because if you're not the best, I'm not going to go to you. But um. But psychologists are more open around, you know what, you're right. I think, you know, someone else might be able to handle this a little bit better. You know, I can offer this part. And I think that's, yeah, that's what a good psychologist does. It sort of meets the needs of the client. And if they can't, they refer on. Okay. At the beginning, you said something like, you know, sometimes, I mean, everyone can talk to their wife or their, their husband or their but wife or husband don't always make very good psychologists i know that if you ask my wife she'll tell you um i'm useless so so sometimes is it i think sometimes we have issues and because we don't want to go and see someone who's trained to look in, in, into this and sometimes also because we want to save money we we think that we can talk to our spouse and our spouse can help and it actually does more damage yeah. than help yeah, and I would agree with that. Oh. And lots of people, I guess, need a third party to sort of come in and, and with a different perspective to have, you know, some input or to be asking questions and sort of helping people come up with a solution that they probably already knew um, but need some guidance around. So I would agree in that, that it's always good to have you know, it's the same as Dr. Google, you know, you can put in your symptoms into Google for any sort of medical yeah. thing. So, oh, I think I might have measles notes, chicken book notes, this, or I could have, you know, all of these things. And then we start diagnosing ourselves and start treating ourselves. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we can go down a rabbit hole. So if I can ask you here, put it on the spot, when should a spouse say, hey, listen, I think you should see a psychologist. We, I can't help. I think when sort of there's 
what I would say the symptoms or whatever they're noticing is different about that person has lasted more than three weeks. Okay. So having these anxious bouts or they are finding it more and more difficult to get up and go to work or um, they're angry, like, you know, it's an irritable, yeah, for more than three weeks. And, you know, and if the partner's saying, you know, oh, why don't you try this or let's book a holiday or, you know, whatever they think is the solution that this person needs, if none of that sort of, you know, I guess surface stuff is helping, then I would try to reach out. Mm, no, that's very good. And that's very that difficult because if that person's not ready to, to go and see a psychologist, um, you're not going to end up with good results from, from the session. Yeah. If you're not prepared to walk in there and be completely honest and open and the full story, um, you're only going to get out of the session what you put in if you don't be completely honest. People don't come to me first up and tell me everything. They yeah. you get tidbits and you you know you piece things together as you oh go and as the relationship and trust builds. So you know sometimes you don't I don't need family of origin history to be helpful mm. in that moment, you know, and then as time goes on. So sometimes I'm can be helpful when I'm actually treating the child and the parent goes, oh, I feel like that would help me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then you start those conversations. So it, it can be indirect as well. And you can come with the partner if that's helpful or you can, yeah, it's, I guess, it's just trying to break down that stigma of like, oh, what am I going to say when I get there? Like, I, I don't know what to tell her or I don't want to, I don't know what to say to him. Like, how embarrassing and, and you don't have to know all the answers and you don't have to tell all your story that's what we're trained to do is chat mm. let you know a bit about us so you can start a connection those sort of things yeah. so you don't I often hear people be so anxious before they come and walk out going oh it wasn't as bad as what I thought <laughs> because you build it up like yeah which yeah, is kind of like what people do at dentists and things like that when, you know, they're just petrified. But Yeah, my, my own experience, I've, I've tried a little bit now um, of therapy and my own experience was that I didn't have so much, I'm quite an overthinker. Me, I'm, I'm pretty sensitive and I do tend to latch onto different emotions a bit too heavily sometimes. And I felt like... Um, the therapy was the therapist herself. I think she did quite a good job. She dug out some things that I was quite surprised about uh, events that I thought weren't quite big things, but um, it's very hard not to go in with a list of stuff. And it's like, Oh, I should have, I needed to say this, 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 this. And then you sometimes end the session and you're like, Oh, I didn't get to get this out. So um, yeah, I suppose lowering the expectations of the meeting with a therapist or a psychologist sorry is um definitely my own from my own experience is definitely helpful and and you um like talking like that dean actually reminds me Haley's often spoken about unpacking mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that's that's sort of similar like in a session you like go through things and like how long does a session go for normally like an hour or something so yeah. to me, like an hour, like if you've got issues and, you you know, like Dean bringing up this and opening that can of worms and unpacking that, you know, an hour sometimes isn't long enough. So what sort of happens at the end of the session if, you know, poor old Dean's here and he's unpacked all this stuff, got himself in a state, has all these other issues that he wishes he had brought up, what happens then? Yeah, so repack them. Yeah, <laughs> repack your bag and get out. <laughs> But I did. So. There's the tissues. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, yeah, as long as people leave the room with, you know, a strategy or a plan or something and then what, what we're going to do next time or, or those sort of things, um, usually you can go, oh, okay, well, I've, I've, I've been able to address this part, but I need yeah. to go back to 
to do the your un unpacking as as you refer to could sometimes take weeks or months oh, weeks months years oh yeah it's how drawn out i haven't got the patience <laughs> But in saying that, Lisa, you're like really solution focused. So you don't yeah. even, you're just like, this is my problem. What's the solution? I'm going to do it, you know. And move that move on. Style. Yeah. yeah. And others are not. They are, you know, but I want to know the cause of that, you know, and they want to sit in that and find out, you know, and, and do that sort of family of origin and, and walk the line and school and bullying and, you know, those sort of things, whereas others don't. So you sort of pick that up in the yeah. beginning to sort of go, what do they need now or what are they looking for? So would you say then in, in a session then that's something you should look for in a psychologist is like going back to that sort of subject is someone that takes control of the situation? Because in my case, I felt a bit lost afterwards. And I just felt a bit more like I got some stuff out, but I actually felt more confused a little bit. So did you go I, back? Like no, I didn't. It wasn't finished. Um, so it was something that I felt was a bit just stuff happened and then there was no yeah, right. no GPS to guide the things through. So yeah, yeah I, I, would you say then, so then a psychologist should be able to just guide you through, all right, next step one, two, three, this is what we'll cover next. And I think it, well, in my experience and those that, you know, I supervise and have been supervised by, you know, you do like sort of a, a formulation each session where you sort of go, okay, so what sort of things do you want to bring? And, you know, we've got this time and you've got to do, as a psychologist, you've got to be really time management. Yeah. We um, often refer to... Um, you know, giving space to um, to people because sometimes, especially children, they're renowned for it. You can sit for 45 minutes, you know, doing talking about this thing and this. As you're about to leave or wrap up, they just drop a bombshell yeah. and you're like, ah, <laughs> got someone waiting and oh, my goodness. And yeah. so you've got to allow for that. So time management is, you know, pretty particular as a good psychologist to sort of go so that you feel like so the client feels like they're heard but they're leaving with something they're not just leaving with all unanswered mm -hmm. um, they're leaving with at least one answer or one strategy or something to go okay but come back because we need to and then I'll help you with the with all the other stuff that we brought up as well. So, but the, but the, the problem that uh, some people have is that they they have an expectation after that session I have to be here, and it's not there. And suddenly they straight away they attach it to yeah she's trying to milk me, and yeah. and then they don't make that, that that next step. So there's a lot of self talk where you set expectation and you you're you're linking a certain. Uh, a certain behavior to maybe some kind of uh, robbery, you know? And, and and I think that if you are going to see a, a psychologist, you know, you, you know there is an issue, okay? I, I personally believe that if you think that you're going to get somewhere within the first two sessions, I think you're dreaming because you've been living with yourself for 33 years. That psychologist has got one hour to decipher that. Mm -hmm. and And quite often in the first session, You've got so many walls that are up that you don't even tell the truth about you. Yeah. You know, if, if you're peeing in the bed, you're not going to tell the psychologist in the first session yeah. because you, you're searching for that level of trust first before you go, do you know what? I, I need to tell you this. And, and, and so there's so much that is in us too. And, and this is why I go, how do I, if I have a problem, how do I really count and expect that within one session someone's going to give me something to move on and 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 then how can i if i was to go and see a psychologist what would be your tips to 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 teach me on to lowering my expectation and and be patient and i think what you're saying is true and then there's just so many limits that people go well i can't be doing this for years like i need I need help now um, and and that's why sometimes people don't address core issues but help you 
learn the strategies to do that for yourself. So to walk you through, say, cognitive behaviour therapy, where you're changing your cognitions to, to get to a different outcome. If you do that with one particular issue or one fear or, or something, then, then teaching you to, to translate that um, to other issues. And, and the same sort of and go through the same process because that's part of our job as well is not just to be the solver and the fixer of all problems but to also give people the skills to be able to do it themselves long term yeah because you don't want to be in therapy for the rest of it we could all I could be in therapy for the rest of my life everyone could because there's always something going on but if you learn the tools to change the way you think or help when you, you know, gain better coping strategies because life can be crap and there's no solving of that all the time. But if you learn some of those skills, then you can help out, help yourself out and help others out in the small things and then you go back for those big things. Um, and I'll use grief for an example, you know, like a significant loss there's a normal grief period and I say to people you don't need me you need to grieve like that that's not you know you're not at any clinical level it's okay for you not to want to get up and go to work you know it's only been a month wow you're a poor psychologist then Hayley you keep on pushing people away <laughs> no I just want to normalize <laughs> not being good 100 no, I love it I love it I love it yeah because people think, oh, there's something wrong with me. Or, you know, Joe down the road, her husband died and, you know, she was back at work the next day. I should be doing it like that. Or, you know, that, you know, mother over there, her child was diagnosed with autism and, you know, she just got on with it. And, I, you know, I'm still over here grieving the loss of that, you know. Yeah. And so I just like to normalise with people, like, it's okay that you feel that way and that doesn't mean you need therapy everybody's different yeah, yeah. um just, just as much as we do uh uh service archive with 10,000 k's just as much as i go to the dentist twice a year should we go to a psychologist like every now and then yeah so i talk a lot about this in education so right. uh and speaking to teachers and and leaders around you know employment assistance programs where you know employees pay for um, their employees to go and see someone a couple of times a year and I encourage people to to do that where they can and just book them in because sometimes you're in crisis and you can't get in anywhere because of the mental health crisis in Australia at the moment um, but having those sessions booked, you can either with retrospect sort of go, this is what happened to me, this is how I handled it, and talk to the psychologist about that. Or, you know, there might be things coming up that you're then anxious about in that time that they can help with. But I would definitely um, always have a connection like you do with a doctor. You don't see a doctor, you know, unless you need to, but you know, you might go for a checkup like the dentist and things like that or a check-in to see how things are going. You might go for a checkup, Thomas, and knock it out. <laughs> they lock me up for sure. 12 months later. <laughs> they lock me up for sure. Now, what, what about, I like to talk about children now because that, that's like uh, a baby's, it's very hard to ask a baby, you know, where's the pain? But for children... I've seen sometimes children going to psychologists, and I'm, I'm careful about this thing here, so don't 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 misquote me. But is it possible that children sometimes misuse uh, the psychologist in order to have their agenda with their parents? Um, I haven't seen that. I have seen. Um... I'll give you an example. So you know, a, a kid was almost suicidal and then put it on the fact that you know mom mom's been uh, overbearing with me and 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 actually showing more love to my sister than to me and and therefore i really feel unloved 
And uh, the psychologist then may have related that to the parents and then suddenly that is being used as an agenda to have everything from the parents. Yeah, I have a bit, I guess, a bit of a different view around why people do what they do because I, I believe most people's intentions are good um, and that that child's, in that instance, that child's needs weren't being met, whatever they were. <clears throat> and whether they've blamed mum or dad or whatever, maybe because they haven't been able to take you know, another person's perspective and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, in those sort of situations, I think it comes down to, I guess, a family sort of perspective in that, like that you can't just single-handedly sit with a teenager who's sort of bringing these things up and not have, you know, a family systems sort of look at what's going on and it's the same as when you know someone comes with a behavioral issue that's happening at home and you know I reach out to the school to sort of go who else is seeing this kid or who else is involved and trying to sort of gather some more information because mm -hmm. that yeah teenagers and children only have an egocentric view of the world and of them being the center of it so you often have to pull information from different places to sort of get a view of what's happening in order to be able to help because that child might need to learn to perspective take, you yeah. know, so, so empathise, you know. And, and in other cases, that has happened. That is the truth that another child is favoured over that child and can cause issue. Uh, I, Yeah. And not intentionally by parents. So, yeah. Sometimes intentionally. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 now, uh, to be careful too here, because in Belgium, uh, psychologists can sit down with young kids and keep it highly confidential away from their parents. Is that something that happens in Australia? Yeah, so confidentiality is, um, yes, in Australia is, is the same. When we work with children, we we generally work with parents. So a parent comes first. Well, this is the way I still work, even with teenagers. The parent comes first right. as a parent only to sort of give me some history and things like that. That's how most people work. In school counselling, it's a little bit different because kids have access straight to the school counsellor or the school psychologist. But we always get consent from a parent under the age of 16. Yes, I know you have the consent, but do you keep it confidential, even if you know there's dangers? Yes, yeah, so the only times you're allowed to, to break confidentiality is if the child is in danger, you know, and is saying self-harm or suicide or anything like that, is, um, is going to harm someone else, like says I'm going to, you know, kill or... Yeah someone or whatever um so yeah danger to others danger to themselves or when they give permission there hasn't really been in my career many kids who once I sort of talk about you know it would be really helpful for your teachers to sort of not know the full story but know this bit and it would be really helpful if I had a chat with mum not about all of this but about this I haven't had a kid not allow me to talk to anyone about anything ever um and you know what sometimes psychologists they do have to step across the line we've got a we're mandatory reporters you know if we hear of child abuse or you know sexual abuse allegations whether we know they're true or not we have to report and sometimes a therapeutic relationship's broken down because of that but yeah yeah, we do have to break um, confidentiality sometimes if it's wow. yeah, for the for yeah. the good of the client or the people around them. It's good the kids allow you to share with their teachers and their their mum or their parents though, because obviously they want a solution and they want help, you know, and that's 
that's good that they're comfortable and happy to to allow that to be shared and you know get and help. You, so. And you build that up over time, and it's, it would be exactly as working with any of you to sort of go. I really think it would be helpful for your partner to know that because of these reasons. But just you know, we don't have to tell them. Just sit with that, and let's have a talk next time about how we would go about that or how you could go about that. But yet. Most people then go, yeah, actually, I do think that would be helpful if I told my partner this or if I let my kids know that or, yeah, it works for adults as well. I'd like to get into something a little bit more controversial here now. What do you think about Anthony Robbins? He thinks that psychology is a waste of time. Anthony Robbins is the... Um, the American motivator. The motiva motivational speaker, yeah. yeah. So... I don't listen to people like that, but um, <laughs> but in general, um, I guess it depends on what you like. So there's certain podcasts that people go, oh, he's so great, you should listen to him, and I have a listen, I go, oh, I don't like him. <laughs> but, you know, like either, you know. You Do you might not listen to motivational speakers because you don't like it or because you're a psychologist? Yeah, I guess I I like personally I like things that are a bit more raw. Like I would listen to Glennon Doyle or, you know, like some other, yeah, sort of I guess people just who are normal talk, yeah. you know, just to the average. Mm. You know, they talk about parenting and they talk about, you know, really hard yeah. stuff in relationships. Real Whereas stuff. Motivational speakers sort of are, appeal to the masses so it just depends on what you're after and I know that you know Anthony Robbins has helped millions of people in the world get out of ruts and do those sort of things um, because he appeals to the masses and people can take what they want from that um, whereas I guess as psychologists we deal mainly on individual or small group mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I presented you know nationally internationally at conferences and you sort of know i'm not i'm not going to hit the mark with everyone you know mm. it's the people come to see what you talk about because they're interested and they go oh, i already knew that or no, i don't agree with that or those sort of things and that's okay yeah. but yeah i guess as psychologists we're more trained to do one-on-one -on -one and small group stuff so yeah one-on-one is it's it's very very um uh, important to do but one-on-one -on -one does not have the power of a group of five thousand. you can use group think you can use the energy of the group especially when you do flooding like anthony robbins does he he usually use flooding what you scared of that here it is get in and then it's like you sink or swim but you have five thousand people scream come on you can you you can you know and and yeah. suddenly something and you go do you know what they all said this maybe i should listen to that rather than my own head and and where whereas when you work on one on one, that person is there with you with their real problem, and quite quite often because they're looping, it makes it bigger. But I'm just thinking, this guy here has helped millions of people, mm -hmm. right? Um, so beside flooding or the power of the group, there has to be something he's doing that is right, and and that maybe psychologists should start using, or maybe I, I don't know. I mean, should you then have Everyone who's having depression in the room, and then and then you deal with them in one go. Yeah, but there's lots of research around, um, you know, and especially when I work with teenagers in schools around copycatting. So as soon as you address self harm or suicide in a school situation, you expect a spike in self harm and suicide in, in suicidality. Can you explain that a bit more? Because I think I, I, I've seen that happen. Yeah, so some people don't think the same as everyone else or they don't have, um, you know, coping strategies and they might go, oh, well, I'm having a problem and I don't like the way my mum and dad fight, so I might try what they said because it seems like everyone else is doing it. So as soon as you address cutting or, you know, in a and self-harm in a situation in a group, 
you often see that more of the group come out self-harming. So we try not to do that. Oh, wow. We try not to address some things in the group sort of situation because you just don't know who, you know, sometimes we say like it's like the power of thirds, you know, you've got a third who does it, a third is on the fence and a third who never will. And the <laughs> ones on the fence, you've got to watch because they could go yeah, the other way. So, Come on, Dean, you've got a long series of questions, man. They all answered. <laughs> I told you I had to delete half of them because <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's been very good. Um, I think in terms of group therapy, is that more just for like, when I think group therapy, I think like addictions. Yeah. Um, so like coming together as a group and fighting against a common cause sort of thing. Is that sort of the approach then with different aspects or is it? Yeah, so addiction is often um, group for that reason mm. um, and, you know, and having people on the journey at different stages has been, I guess, research has found that to be really helpful in addiction. Mm. Um, you know, recover those that have recovered, those who are on the road to recovery, those who are thinking about recovery, those sort of things. Um, we do group therapy in um, anxiety because, oh. and facing fears because you can do what we call um, step ladders, which is the opposite to flooding, where you don't just jump in the, at the deep end and hope to swim, but you take steps to, to get in the water. Um, and so it wouldn't matter what fear you had, you could do that in the group. Someone might be fearful of birds, someone, you know, of going in lifts, someone in aeroplanes, and you can sort of just mould that. So that can work in groups as well. Yeah, I'm surprised about anxiety, though, because um, quite often I've met anxious people who are like, oh, I think my anxiety rubbed off on the group. And then they think it's like this contagion uh, or this contagious thing that everybody has. I'm, I'm quite fascinated by that because... I feel like even my own anxiety, I'd make other people anxious. So in a big group. Yeah. How does the, how does the therapist keep it together? You've got nine anxious <laughs> people all sitting there. Yeah. And it's hard, but it's, um, again, you're talking about a group of people who may not be anxious, but then have, I guess, picked up on your chaos or, or the anxiety that you're feeling and then going, oh, I didn't see it from that point of view. Now I'm anxious. Now I'm thinking the way you're thinking, that sort of thing. Whereas in therapy, they're all, you know, they're all there for a solution to the anxiety. Oh, I see, yeah. You're walking through those steps. Mm -hmm. um, but often I get that from anxious adults to sort of go, you know, I, you know, worry and I do all these things and then the kids start doing the same or you get the child who's the opposite and comes and bees the calm to the parent mm. um, and I guess in those sort of situations it's about working with acknowledging that just going I'm feeling really anxious at the moment and I don't want to put that all on you so yeah being able to name it but when you deal with anxiety too in a group that there's always some people who feel more anxious than others and then what happens is i, I think there is also the power of the group in, in that the ego of the person who's got less has a tendency of trying to pull the other one down um i i, I feel and so that is a very powerful thing that you that, that good psychologists can channel and use isn't it yeah yeah and everyone's always at different levels um but a good psychologist won't ever, I guess, put people down, like, oh, you're less anxious, so you're there, and you're more anxious, so you're there. It's just anxiety is anxiety, and it, and it comes and goes, same as depression in cycles. So, okay. um, so we, yeah. we, just, we just have a few minutes here, and, and I, I find that you're interesting, and I'm thinking more and more now that maybe I need to see a psychologist. So, so what... <laughs> What do you charge for for someone like me, like running a business and or, or, or having a business? What could you do for me? Is there something that you could do for those kind of small businesses from the leader to the employees? 
and yes, all these so most, most businesses do a what they call employment assistance program and it's an Australian wide sort of program and then psychologists sign up to that program and then deliver those services to right. um, to organizations so um, yeah they just find local psychologists locally to whatever area like whatever office um, or school or whatever and and then it's you sort of enter into a contract with the psychologist on like a needs basis to sort of say, you know, if I want to, you know, give every employee two psychology sessions a year um, that I'll pay for, well, not everyone's going to use those two a year. And so you don't pay for them up front. You just, it's like pay as you go sort of mm -hmm. thing. Someone would go and it's anonymous. You yeah. won't know who the person is and it's num like numbered, you know. That psychologist saw five of your employees and you pay for that five. Right. But but with Zoom now, I don't need to go to the, my local place. Let's imagine that I find one I really like. I could actually do it via Zoom. So you, you could actually do it to everyone from all around the world, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, now the nitty-gritty now. So so how much does a session cost? Uh, most psychologists are around at the moment. Um, standard price is around two hundred and twenty dollars right. an hour. Wow. Um, one hour. Yeah, that's for a general psychologist. Clinical psychologists can be more. Sometimes they can be less, depending like rural. Um, yeah, it's really dependent. But under Medicare. If you have a mental health care plan, which is a little bit different, if you go to the GP and say, I want to see a psychologist, they'll give you what's called a mental health care plan. And that's 10 sessions a year uh, where Medicare will rebate some of that cost. So at the moment you get 80, around $86 back from whatever you spend through right. Medicare. Okay. And, and I mean, psychologists have been fighting for years for that to be fully covered with yeah. no gap. Um, yeah, but the, the employment assistance program is not covered by Medicare. Um, no. no. Okay, well, then maybe I, I just need mental health issues. I've got mental health issues. <laughs> 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 now, one of my last question here is. Mental health actually started some thousand years before Christ. And, and it was really about stuff that really happened mentally, you know? So someone's got Parkinson's mental health. Is mental health not being overused, you think? It's like, I can't even think right this morning, right? I've got mental health issue. Yeah. So I would say, I would say yes and no, but I, I'll give you an answer and I'm not going to do the, so that you get Jordan Peterson, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think people are more aware um, of psychological issues that you know, and are more. They may seem more prevalent now, but really, it's it's always been there. It's just diagnosed more, or people are talking about that more. So I would say that's why we see a higher incidence. But on the other side, I would agree that sometimes they're buzzwords, you know, anxiety is normal. Everyone gets anxious. Everyone feels anxious and they're supposed to. That's how that's fight or flight. We are supposed to be doing that so that we don't die. So um, sometimes I guess when people don't know you know, is it in a clinical level or not? What's normal? And so I think sometimes, you know, people say, oh, you know, my child can't do a speech. They're, an they're too anxious. They can't give the speech. It's like everyone's anxious. Well, the majority of people, 99% of the people would be anxious before they talked in front of their classmates, you know, about fear of judgment and things like that. That's normal. But if they're hyperventilating and vomiting and, you know, all of these major things prior to having to do that, you know, or wetting the bed or, you know, some really big behaviours, mm. then, 
you're like, yeah, that's probably not normal. You know, yeah. so I feel like um, social media has really it's become so clickbaity. And the algorithm is like you just you watch one video on anxiety or something, and then suddenly you get a million reels or videos saying anxious people do this, anxiety is this, anxiety is that. So it can be really confusing, and I think feels like it's overused a little yeah. bit. Um, hopefully, a pendulum swings back a bit, and it's like no, we gotta chill out on that a bit. And um, yeah. That's, I would I totally agree. And it's the same with depression. And it's like, you know, everyone has bad days, you know, and and bad periods in their life. But, you know, there there is a line where what we what we see sometimes is we see anxious people come because they don't want to get more anxious. Um, but sometimes we lose some of the really anxious or really depressed people because they don't come. Mm. They make rash decisions where they, you know, the suicide rate in Australia is massive and it's getting bigger for young males 20 to 50 years old yeah. because they're the ones who need the help and who won't go and get it. Mm. Um, and they make the rash decisions of this is too hard for me I can't do this, I'm going to opt out and I'm going to kill myself. So I guess as psychologists, what we're trying to do is try to get to some of those people, you know, because we want, we want people to live and we want them to, be, to live satisfying lives. Um, but often social media has a big thing to play with that because they're always going, oh, well, you know, you know, Joe's got a new boat and, this person, you know, look at his beautiful wife and look at those kids and they're doing this. And so, it, you know, that cloud just gets deeper and deeper. And so what I would say is for friends, family, you know, start noticing the people around you if they're starting to withdraw from social situations or if they're saying, you know, my life's shit, you know, your life's so good, mine's shit, you know, even just little things like that, just, just offering an ear and saying, oh, like, you know, as much as what men do is sort of, and some women sort of go, oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. You're fine. You know, rah, rah. No, toughen up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, you know, it's sort of noticing, okay, he said that a couple of times now I've mm -hmm maybe you need something else or a bit of awareness yeah a bit so. of awareness around that yeah whereas yeah I guess it's just such a fine line isn't it because you go yeah you don't want to be you know over diagnosing people or you know contributing to a social media storm but then you don't want to miss people yeah, yeah. So I suppose overexposure is better than under in this case because we're starting to see it more and more now, at least now it's like people are more aware of the suicide rates and they're more aware. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Where it's like some good is being done. But still that group of people. Too, but... Yeah, but there's still that group of people that don't think it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. It is okay to ask for help. Mm. So it's yeah, they, they don't think it, but also they don't know how to ask for help sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that the uh, incidence of social media is the accelerating factor yeah. because the the uh, unworthiness, the not good enough, all of those things are just so magnified now that it's getting out of control for those people, you know. Yeah. I have a mate of mine just buried two of his friends through suicide and he, he's, he's questioning himself, why didn't I see it? But it's it's just so hard to see people spend more time now with that little screen that you don't even know how they react anymore. Yeah. You know, I, I see people who are watching television and see and, and uh, their social media at the same time. And you don't even know what they're doing. So they're sitting next to you. You think they're fine. But what's happening, it may not be that fine. Well, it's been a very interesting subject. Thank you so much, Haley, And I, I hope that Dean did not give you too much of a hard time. He does that all the time. 
There's nothing that I hadn't come across before because you know, people are scared to go to a psychologist. Um, but, yeah, I would just say that although we're not doctors, psychiatrists are doctors, but psychologists aren't, but it's the same thing. It's going to, to someone to help with what something you need. One step forward, yeah. That's right. And now we can do it all online as well. Like you can Google um, psychologists and some people just do it by chat. You don't even have to be on a screen. So I guess, yeah, that's a good thing about mental health and its awareness is that it's, I guess, mental health help is more accessible. It is accessible on your phone. Thank you very much for today. Thank you, Hayley. Thanks, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Chat soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.